Okay, thank you everyone for um, turning up today. Uh, my name is David Bell, I'm the CEO of the Institute. I've met most of you, but uh, not all of you, so it's terrific to see you here. So today is the um, uh, another um, insight session as part of our Leadership Forum series. Um, we try and hold these about four times a year, they're very popular. Um, we typically get up to 100 people uh, in this room, and we also get quite a number on the webinar. And I think we've got 120 on the webinar today, so welcome to those people on the webinar as well. You will be included. Um, our guest speaker today is James Fitzpatrick, who I'll introduce in just a moment, and he tells me he'll be speaking for about 30 minutes. Um, there will be a Q&A session, which I'll run at the end, and we'll invite people from the webinar to participate in that as well. Um, we aim to finish the event no later than 2 p.m., though, of course, you're always welcome to hang around. No problems. Okay, it's now my pleasure to introduce James Fitzpatrick. James is currently the Chief Customer Officer for AMP's SMSF business, Super Concepts. He's responsible in that role for the marketing, product, pricing, customer experience, and strategy functions in AMP. And previously, he spent 11 years with Suncorp and has held a variety of senior leadership roles across commercial and personal insurance. Today, James is going to give us his take on leadership, including will be a uh, presentation by him on the Harvard Adaptive Leadership Model and how it works when it is applied to complex social problems. Now, James asked me the question, had I heard of the Harvard Adaptive Leadership Model? I must admit I have heard of it, but I'm not quite sure what it is, so I'm really looking forward to hearing what it's about. But uh, reading from James's notes, I can tell you the adaptive model is about creating sustainable change through engaging effectively to resolve differences and find shared ways to move forward. It uses diagnostics and models of human responses to adversity and conflict to assist with how to take a leadership role in progressing difficult issues. So my simple take on that is that leadership is really easy during the good times and it's really tough during the bad times. And James is going to tell us uh, a method of dealing with leadership issues in the tough times. I hope I haven't put words in your mouth, James. But anyway, without further ado, please welcome James. Thank you, James. Thank you. Um, and thanks for having me today. It's a pleasure to be here before you having a chat. Um, I'm going to talk a little bit. I'll probably talk for about half an hour. Um, I'll probably try and stay behind the lectern because I think that will help for the people on webinar. Hello. Um, but uh, I have a habit of wandering, so if I do, please forgive me. Um, thank you for the kind words. Hopefully I can live up to some of the expectations that have just been set. So I have, uh, there's a few things I'll talk through, um, but certainly I won't be able to share any amazing stories of some of the changes spoken to, but I will be able to share my experiences and, and some of the insights I've gained through both practical experience, but also some of the formal training that I've been through. Um, before jumping into um, a bit of detail and a bit of theory, I thought it would be worth just sharing what do I think are the key things that have shaped my leadership style and where I come from and what I see. Um, Sort of the first thing that sort of jumps out for me when I think about leadership is taking chances. Um, going back when I first joined Suncorp, I'd actually applied for one role, and um, through the recruitment process, I ended up being offered a leadership role, which I'd, was something I'd never been done before, um, and decided to give it a go, um, partly because of the confidence that the people that were recruiting me showed in my capacity to be able to work with people. Um, and that was something that has happened to me on a couple of occasions throughout my career. So from my perspective, I think when things emerge as opportunities and when things emerge as chances, one of the things that I've learned is to jump in, see what happens. It won't always feel comfortable, um, but that's been the start of my leadership journey and where that's taken me. Um, mentioned the Harvard leadership model, the adaptive leadership model. In 2012, I spent um, sort of a seven or eight month program through the Benevolence Society. Um, is everyone familiar with the Benevolence Society? A uh, few, few shaking heads. Um, so the Benevolence Society is a Sydney-based charity that has been, it's actually Australia's oldest charity, and I, I can't remember the exact date, but it was early 1800s or late 1700s that the charity was formed. Um, and they've been focused over that period in terms of helping some of the most disadvantaged people um, within our community. And um, around 2000, the CEO of the charity at that point, who had, a, had experienced the adaptive leadership model um, through 
a prior prior to coming into running that charity, um, decided that rather than working after um, people have got challenges and where they're working from, wanted to try and work through how do we actually build capability within our community to advance social causes. And as part of that, developed a program, of, program called Sydney Leadership, which I was fortunate enough to go through in 2012. Um, the program looks at a range of different societal challenges and then looks at how to apply a formal theory and a formal model to those in terms of then being able to make impact and what you can do as an individual that works within what is termed a human system within the context of that program. I won't go into a lot of detail right now, but I will talk to that as I go through. And this is where some of the, um, I guess, content and, and the reason I look at the world through that lens comes from. Um, the other big thing that's quite recent for me is I spent six months within Suncorp Strategic Innovation Team, um, which may not be something that sounds particularly um, unusual. However, uh, over the last couple of years, it's something that Suncorp has invested quite significantly in and really built a capability. The context of that team has many within Suncorp's business model, but one of those was really about building strategic leadership within Suncorp's business. And I was lucky enough to be part of that um, for six months and um, thoroughly enjoyed it and took a lot out of that. One of the things that that has really formed in me is a structured way of working around developing yourself as an individual. So I'll talk to that in a little bit of detail as well. Um, and lastly, when I think about the things that have shaped me as a leader and my perspective on leadership, um, it's the people that I've worked with, that have worked for me, and the people that work alongside me that I get to see working as leaders day in, day out. Um, and by looking at what you see as some of the best behaviours from them and thinking about how they're operating and what they're achieving and what they're doing is where a lot of the inspiration comes from what you can do yourself in terms of how that happens. Um, there's also the things that you see that are things that you don't wish to emulate that are also part of that, which I'm sure we can all resonate with, but is just as important from my perspective in terms of things that have helped me shape things. And when I've experienced different things, it's then the self-reflection around what is the impact that I'm having on others when I do different things and how can I learn from that? Um, so in terms of presentation, I just wanted to run through three kind of core areas, um, but I want to do that within the context of my working definition of leadership. So about six months ago, I was asked to come along and, and talk today, and talking about leadership is something... I've been a leader for quite a long time. I've got a perspective on that. I can talk to my practical experience, and I kind of said, okay, I'll, I'll give that a go. Um, working through what does leadership actually mean to me, it's one of those things that has sort of sunk in as I've been thinking about preparing to what do I want to talk to today. And the thing I've landed on for me is positive change or making change for the better. Um, and in the context of that, I think leadership really comes through in three distinct areas for me. It's how do you make positive change in yourself um, and how do you make a continuous self-development? How do you make changes or support other people on their growth journeys, um, whether that's your team or others that are around you? Um, and then the last piece there, which is how do you make positive change in what I'll term human systems? And I'll give a bit more context as to what that means, but really collections of people or organisations and how they work. Um, so firstly, I wanted to talk a little bit about development of self and what does that mean for me? Um, I mentioned that I went through Suncorp Strategic Innovation Program, and this is something that I've always believed in and always heard and it is not anything new that the power of actually self-development and learning having an active development plan and working through that is something that is really commonplace <laughs> and I've heard in many different contexts across different organizations um, I think one of the things that really has stood out for me is self-development and when I really see people working and, and thinking about how to push themselves and, and to move forward and grow it's the piece that's beyond the technical skills. Um, so the technical skills and knowledge that we acquire, um, whether that's knowledge of the context that we work in, whether that's technical skills in terms of how we work, whether it's a computer system or applying actuarial science to problems, whether it's learning any of those things, they're kind of a functional technical knowledge base that's really critical often for what you do in a day-to-day -day job. 
Um, but when I think about leadership and what does that mean to be developing self, um, it's really about knowing who you are and knowing how you operate and thinking about how you can firstly understand yourself, understand who you are, learn to look at yourself uh, through an external eyes. Um, most of us can really comfortably talk to who your best friend is and you could describe them and label them and, and talk through exactly what does and doesn't make them tick but have struggled to be able to have the same level of knowledge about yourself as you would about those that you closely observe on a day-to-day -day basis. So the piece around understanding self for me is really about how do you try to treat yourself as your best friend, understand and care about you, um, think about how you operate, what you do, what makes you tick, and then work through what does that mean and how do you change. Um, as a model, that I've been using uh, that I thought I'd share, which is I try to kind of do that on a sort of journaling type basis. So um, I'd like to do it every day. I can't say honestly that I do, but on a regular basis, I sit down with some of the observations that I've made around myself and think and try and use a framework of data information, which is the knowledge and change, at least the knowledge and change. And I thought I'd just share what that means by giving a recent example. So. Um, last week I was sitting down with a project manager that I'm working with um, and I asked him a question which was around why one of the whole streams of work that I thought we were working through had kind of disappeared off the roadmap. Um, and um, the feedback he gave me was, well, because you said it's not a priority. Um, and I was kind of reflecting on what I'd actually done and said and, and where did that, how did that happen? I kind of reflected back and, and we were talking in the context of a range of different things we were doing and I said that one's not a priority right now and um, I kind of glossed over that and kept on going but the piece that he'd taken um, forward was that that meant that we could forget about that program of work and not not do that and when I reflect on actually the piece of that's the piece of data and I start to try and convert that into information and it's feedback I've had around what's the shadow that you cast and, and when you say something, what do people interpret from that? And then particularly as you get into leadership positions, the ability for you to make an impact on people around you is really critical. So for me, reflecting on that and just kind of going, okay, what does it mean that I need to do differently? So I do have a tendency to be at times quite quick with making comments and it's having the discipline around thinking through, okay, when I say things, how does that get taken and how does it happen? And so there's a piece there which then flows back into changing and then sitting down later in the week in a couple of different conversations. For me, doing that quite differently and being quite deliberate about the fact that when I talk through things, making sure I give enough context and understanding and don't just gloss over something given the way that could happen. Um, so that data information knowledge model is something that I use um, regularly. It's core from my perspective to the self-development. It comes to understanding yourself and comes to understanding, um, understanding a lot about yourself and then giving you the choice around what things do you want to work with and what things do you want to change. Um, there's a lot of parallel to that from my perspective in terms of some of the things I'll start to talk through when we get into the systems and what is adaptive leadership model, what is an adaptive leadership model. And the thing that you're working on in this situation is working on yourself and by having that discipline and being conscious about it, it does mean that you can design where you want to get to and that you can continuously learn on your journey. Um, I sort of thought, one of, the, one of the questions that was posed to me in preparing for this, um, and it, it sort of links back into starting to know yourself and, and learning about that. Um, I wanted to share a story from quite early on in my career, um, which has stuck with me. Um, so it would have been probably within the first six months that I joined Suncorp, and I was working as a team leader of a team of analysts at that point, and... Um, I was in the workers' comp business and doing some work with the underwriters around pricing books of business. Um, myself and my team had spent quite a lot of time working through some analytics and some pricing models and working out what we thought all of that meant. And we'd sat down with some of the underwriters within that business to talk about 
um, what all that meant and what we thought we should do. And um, I was still relatively new to the business and didn't. this was the first time I'd done this particular activity. Um, and I was quite interested, um, walking back out of that and reflecting on it, I felt like the, the couple of weeks of work that had been kind of driven as a piece of effort to some extent had not factored at all into decision making and that underwriting decisions went in a completely different direction to what any of the analytical work um, that we had done suggested that we should. So I was kind of um, at that point probably a little bit righteous about thinking that I was I knew what I was talking about and, and, and knew where I was coming from and I had a whole heap of different spreadsheets and different things to back me up. And I was sitting down um, with my leader at the time and, and talking through this as a problem. Um, and it's kind of, you know, how do I get these people to do something differently? Um, and um, and it's kind of, the, the, the thing that he sort of said to me at that point was that always assume people are rational, talented and motivated. And so the fact that you don't understand where they're coming from or why they're doing what they're doing doesn't necessarily mean that they don't know what they're doing or that they're not competent. Um, you probably just don't other understand their motivations. Um, and I thought when it came to leadership, this is something that from my perspective, I use a lot as a model and reflect back on. I um, find it's quite easy and I often see um, discussions, particularly between different business units where there's a complete lack of understanding around why different people are doing different things. Um, and there's a lot of judgment that can be overlaid on that. Um, so I wanted to talk through, and this from my perspective is something that's been critical in my career, is, is shifting a mindset from being knowledgeable about what's going on and thinking that you've got the right answer to shifting to a mindset of empathy for other people and trying to understand what is it that they're seeing through their lens, what is it that they've observed and what is motivating them. Um, and by being able to connect on that level, you're able to find shared, shared ground, shared solution and use that as a way of actually informing pathways forward and actually being far more influential in how things happen. So... Um, the rational, talented and motivated one is a model that I've found really useful and wish to share. Um, thought I'd share next a little bit, and I'm sort of following a bit of a career journey here in terms of, as I've sort of grown through career, what happens. Um, wanted to talk a little bit about leading teams and what I see as being critical in terms of doing that well and being recognised. Um, I was fortunate enough last year um, to work with um, one of Suncorp's senior leaders um, who, for me, has probably been the benchmark in terms of leadership. And I kind of step back and think about what did she bring to the table and what were her absolute strengths. Um, and the one that stands out the most is caring. Um, and it sounds kind of like something that's nice but doesn't necessarily fit within most leadership frameworks and things that I have seen over the years. Um, but the power of being able to care about somebody and the power to care about their development, where they're at, and actually be in the moment with them in whatever their journey is and supporting them um, has just something that she had as an absolute strength and something that I know I'm aspiring to try and live up to in terms of how I lead my people. And it's particularly when you start caring about their growth as individuals. So um, there's a lot of discussion about development plans and learning. Um, and I think it's only recently that that's clicked from being something that I've always believed in and seen as something that was important and that you did want to learn and you wanted to develop because, and you wanted to work with others to help them learn and develop, to actually being something that as a leader is a responsibility and is something that is a demonstration of caring about them by caring about people's growth and working with them day to day. Um, to develop a growth mindset within a team and within a business is incredibly powerful. When people are feeling stretched but cared for and able to test and learn and to experiment and to do that in a situation of safety um, is 
incredibly powerful both in terms of them individually but also in terms of the impact that that has as a group and how that group can grow and learn and work with others around them. So um, then in terms of leading teams, the other part that jumps out at me in terms of what you need to be able to do is live to a set of values, which um, some of the ones that I believe are most important is a sense of honesty, caring and doing what you say. Um, and for me, they're the non-negotiable things that you need to deliver as a leader, but also um, that people look for. Um, we we'll talk a little bit about human systems and adaptive leadership. Uh, this is, um, it's a little bit theoretical and probably slightly more um, specific. So uh, please jump in if there's things that I cover off that don't make sense or you've got questions around. Um, Firstly, I want to touch on human systems. So, um, and this is very much borrowing from the Harvard School of Thought around adaptive leadership. Um, but a human system in the context of that program is really just any collection of people that are brought together and share a set of interactions. So it's not that they share a common purpose, but it's that they're brought together and they form as a group and they have a common kind of interaction points that mean that it will continue um, the, um, the model that's within adaptive leadership looks at a range of different diagnostics around how do you start to understand human systems and the way that they form and how do you see patterns within that that allows you to start to look at how do, how do I make change within a human system. Um, the example that I like to use uh, to explain what a human system is is actually high schools. Um, it's something that I assume most people in the room have been through. Um, and you have a fairly consistent pattern that forms. So if you look at a high school, whether it's on TV or whether it's your own life experience, um, the types of groups that form and the types of relationships between those groups, you can map that out and it's fairly consistent for high schools across the world, across cultures. Um, and you can start to look at that as a set of patterns around how to a group of people put into that context and have a set of interactions that are fairly defined, how will they form up as a group and how will they interact and what will happen? Um, you take away the ability for them to interact as people finish high school and move off into different parts of their lives and that falls apart. So they're brought together by the, in the environment that they're in and then you get a fairly consistent dynamic that forms. So adaptive leadership is really then thinking about given the way that people come together and interact, how can you actually make change and, and to address things in that? And if I talk to how would something like an adaptive lead, adaptive challenge um, operate in a high school, something like how do you deal with bullying um, would be the sort of question that is, there's not a simple answer to it, there's not a technical fix, which is you can go in and ask people nicely to, to not do that. Um, there's no easy solution, so how do you work with that and how do you create change um, within that group? Um, a big part of that is understanding. So when um, we sort of go through this is understanding and diagnosing what is happening within a human system, what things are working and what things aren't is fairly fundamental. Um, and that then enables you to look at the system and think about what things could you play with or change to try and generate a different outcome in terms of how things come through. Um, and I thought, given that um, I've got a room full of actuaries, that I'd talk about the role within a human system and, and look at that from the role of an actuary. So most of us work for some form of employer and have a set of different relationships um, that form around us and we all come together and that's part of a human system that we're a part of. As an actuary working within an organisation, there are a number of things that happen which is the role that the actuary finds themselves within. Um, but um, and that's the same if you sort of come back to that high school example. There are similar patterns that emerge and similar ways in terms of how people interact across systems. Um, I've thrown up there just a word map in terms of um, some of the things that if you walk into a room and describe yourself as an actuary, as an organisation, what does that bring? What do people already assume about you? And what does that mean about the role that you can play? 
Um, in some of the organisations we work in, the role of the actuary is defined by legislation. In many, uh, we don't have that formal role, and it's defined by those, those that have been before us and, uh, and what we make of it. Um, one of the things that I sort of take away from that adaptive leadership challenge is the impact of filling a role. And some of the things that I've observed over my career in terms of an actuary is a belief or a stereotype um, that emerges around having got a um, good analytical capability and a strong ability to work with numbers, but it's not usually paired with an understanding that you might bring a broader set of diverse experiences to a table within a business um, and a different range of perspectives. And one of the challenges I feel as actuaries is how do you move beyond the stereotype and actually start to bring th through your more diverse experiences the same as everyone else and not be pigeonholed as the person that's done the numbers and, and generated a value. Um, and if I look through sort of an adaptive leadership lens at that problem, there's a number of tips and tricks that would be there in terms of how do you work with that system. Um, um, one of those is acknowledging the, and understanding where you come from and thinking about how other people are perceiving you and what they expect. Um, and sometimes by doing something that's different to the role that you're being asked to play is really core to that. So as an example, if working through a discussion, the actuarial role is to actually provide a, a viewpoint which you're obliged kind of to feel like you have to provide, like a discussion around what would be the profitability impacts of this or what would that be. By continuing to always take that position and not thinking about, well, what if I came at this from what does this mean from our employees' perspective or what did this mean um, for our customers? And talk to that first and start to think about how do you not necessarily come from the point of expertise, but come from things that are, are different. You can start to change the way people expect you to contribute and then start to change the way that you can add value and what you can be expected to be asked about going forward. Um, <coughs> I wanted to touch a little bit about how does this work in practice for me. I work in a non-traditional actuarial field. I think the, the biggest part of my role at the moment is a marketing function. Um, and I haven't really had a traditional actuarial role for the last couple of years. Um, one of the things that I've been successful for and recognised in my career is actually bridging difference and bringing different groups together. Um, and that's something that I've only come to realise is actually a strength of mine um, in more sort of recent times and as it's been called out to me and fed back to me by others around me. Um, that's helped me a long way in my career and I've held roles many times where the role that I took was one that naturally bridged between different parts of the business. In my early parts of my career, I provided a kind of link between an actuarial function and, and some more commercial arms of the business where I would often play a role of facilitating a conversation and facilitating understanding both ways. And that had seen me be quite successful. Um, about two years ago, I took on a role to run the Bingle business, which was being pulled out of Suncorp's core operating business and being set up within a startup lab. So I took a role as the leader of that business with a responsibility to pull it out and put it into a startup organisation and start to run that as an end-to-end -end business. Um, I learned a lot from that, mostly through learning from mistakes. Um, a lot of the career experience I had up to that point, which had been defined by working collaboratively, shifted a lot when you actually start being responsible for something as an end-to-end -end business. And for me, the change in role that that required was something that it took me quite a while to work out and, and what was the different expectations of me, both by my team, but also by the organisation. And um, I think from my perspective, being conscious of that change of role was something with hindsight I would have liked to put a lot more time into and really worked out how do I set that business up for success because there were a number of things and challenges where we didn't quite get that set up in a... In a way that enabled us to actually hit the targets we were being asked to hit. Um, and then I thought I'd talk about my current leadership challenge, um, just to share how I'm looking at a problem I'm facing today. I don't have the answers to it. It's something I'm working through. 
Um, Super Concepts is a business that AMP owns and is a collection of seven or eight businesses that we're merging into one. Um, and so we're moving from a business that has got eight different operating models and moving that to a single operating model. Um, my role as the Chief Customer Officer for that business includes a responsibility around what does that mean for us in terms of a customer experience and where that's headed. One of the things that I'm actively trying to work through and sort of design is how do I bring a, eight different groups of people that have all got different ways of doing things and who all have a different definition of what great customer service is together and allow that to form into something that the business takes as an ongoing way forward. At the moment, my challenges are that um, the way that people talk to it is, is very much around that they have an opinion around what would be the right way forward. And um, I'm trying to work through how do I actually start to get people to collaborate and design the system that that organisation represents to be able to work together and learn together as a way of designing a customer experience and, and standing up for something that that group want to share um, rather than coming from a technical experience. Not an easy challenge, it's an active focus, but um, it's very much an adaptive challenge in terms of how do I work with those people. Um, how am I doing for time? I can't quite... Okay. Cool. Um, so just sort of last slide that I brought along before jumping through to questions. I want to talk about my perspective on what is critical from... Uh, I guess for someone that's starting out in a career or that wants to change their career and move into something where they have a stronger leadership presence, um, the three things that jump out to me in terms of that will make you successful, one is having a growth mindset. And a growth mindset is really something that's internal and it's really around having the discipline to focus on self-development and believing that you can change and being active in doing that. I think working with others, recognising that whilst you'll have a perspective and that you might have done a whole heap of work and have a really good technical understanding of that, that's only as important as you can make it influential by working with others and sharing your perspective, understanding theirs and working out how those things come together to find a way forward. Um, and lastly, being clear on what your strengths are um, and being able to use those um, to... You know, Partly further a career, but the things that you'll be recognised for generally are your strengths. They're the things that will make you successful and they're the things that will generate you the opportunities. So I see a lot of development planning, um, which is really around minimising weaknesses. Um, however, I would say focus on your strengths, make those the things that you stand for and, and make sure that you leverage them to their full potential. Uh, that's all I had in terms of thoughts to share. So thank you for taking the time to listen to me. I really appreciate it. Uh, I think we're going to throw over to questions. Thanks very much, James. That was great. So um, we now have um, as much time as you want, almost, to put this bloke on the spot and ask him any question you want. Um, so before we do that, uh, just a couple of uh, notes, please. Uh, we do have people um, who are on webinar. So uh, if you ask a question here, can you please use a microphone so they can hear you and state your name and organisation. Um, and also we'll be getting some questions from the webinar as well, which Donna will bring forward to me. So, um, and just for you, James, I know you like jumping around a bit. You've told me when you answer questions, we've got sort of a narrow camera range here for the people on the webinar. So keep your jump slow. Okay. Um, any questions from the audience here? Yes, we've got one. Uh, thanks, James. Uh, I'm Shaz Macquarie. Um, thanks for that. It was a great presentation. Um, one of the things you seem to touch on was the um, rational, talented, motivated thing. Um, how important, and it seems like as you've progressed, I mean, from what I've got is you've, you've come from a point of maybe starting off as someone being quite gung-ho and knowing what we're doing and then moving to a more humble perspective as we kind of realize and grow that we don't know anything at all. And so how important is humility and, and learning for an actuary, especially someone who's a leader, working with other people? Yeah, I think it's... Come on. I 
Um, yeah, great question. Um, from my perspective, I think it's critical. Um, I think, and I think for two reasons. One, I think um, it helps you connect with people around you, whether they're um, team members, peers, leaders. Um, being Having a, a degree of humility, I think, is absolutely critical for doing that. Um, and then I also think that it also helps you to understand others. So I think for both of those reasons, it's absolutely critical. And I think a core kind of part of successful leaders. Often um, some leadership styles, you won't see great amounts of humility, but I do think that the most successful ones, you do see lots of that. Okay. Other questions? Um, I've got a question. Um, my first job in life was in the army and uh, the army basically assumed that no one could lead and they broke you down and built you up. Um, so the question is around are leaders born or are they made? What's your perspective on that? Um, I think they're made. Um, the, the couple of things that when I think about the two moments for me when I took on leadership positions that were... The first was uh, walking into Suncorp and, and walking into a team meeting where you're the leader when you've never led people before and the experience and the lack of confidence and belief that you have that you deserve to be there or have that role and the things that are going through the back of your mind around kind of going, why would these people want to be, you know, see me as a leader? Um, I think, say to me, that there is no... And I would like to now think of myself as an experienced leader that's capable of working with a team. Um, and there's nothing born about that. It's experience. It's, it's going through that. And I think leading with humility and values um, will mean that people want to work with you. Um, not thinking that you know everything and, and letting them have a perspective. So when you hear the expression, someone's a natural leader, are they in fact a natural leader or they've been built up and taught? Um, I might answer in a slightly different way. Certainly from my perspective, one of the things when I'm recruiting leaders, um, there are things that I look for um, and those tend to be value-driven um, attributes. Not, and so I think some of those things are there. Do I think that anybody can demonstrate those? Yes, I do. Um, but a leader has got a certain set of values and a certain way of interacting if they're going to be effective. So I do look for those. Thank you. Questions from the audience? Elaine Grace, the Actuaries Institute. Uh, I'm just wondering, you said that you write observations in your journal every so often. Do you think the main value comes from just there for the time that you're reflecting uh, and those observations as opposed to kind of going, okay, now I need to do the course and whatever? Is it really just kind of mainly sitting down and reflecting? Um, I think you're right that that is the main um, value is actually taking the time out to have that discipline. I use a model that works for me because it, it's something that's a useful way of reflecting, but it also forces me to, um, from, a, I guess, a thought process, stick with what I've observed and what I know to be facts, which is in that data piece, and then starting to turn that into what, is, what does that actually mean or what have I done, and then what do I do differently? Um, the other thing that I think writing down does, which is more than self-reflection, is it forces a discipline. Um, I'm not an expert on it, but I understand that the, the act of writing actually changes the thought process and, and forces synthesis, and so it forces you to actually process things in a slightly different way to be able to concisely put those onto paper. Um, so that's the other part of the discipline that I think is actually really critical. Thank you. There's a question here. John Oakley. Uh, James, um, I was just interested, you said that when you're interviewing for leadership roles, you're looking for sort of more values-driven things and the way that they, people react, interact with others. Um, would you be able to expand on that a little bit more and give us a little bit more insight into what things you are looking for when you are recruiting a leadership position? Um... I'm, I'm just thinking through a specific example. I've got someone I'm working with at the moment who I think will be a great leader. Um, and the, the reasons that I feel that is um, she shows a genuine passion 
for the business and she puts the business before herself. Um, she shows a genuine passion for those around her and care and empathy and, and looks to work with others and will be generous with her time um, when she's working with others. Um, and then she's got a good working knowledge of our business and how it all fits together. So um, it's, it's a little bit, it's not defined, but there are qualities in her that uh, make me feel very confident that she'll be able to be, walk into a leadership position and potentially know a lot less than a couple of the people that she'll be working with in terms of the specific functional area, but that she'll be able to get the best out of them and to lead that team effectively. Jenny. Thanks, James. Interesting uh, presentation. Thank you. So I had a couple of questions. One was at the end you talked about getting the viewpoints of others that you're working with, and I'm interested in how actively you do that and how you go about it, whether you get together with people for coffee and seek feedback, etc. And I'd also be interested if you could just expand a little bit on the um, Benevolent Society and how you got onto that leadership course, etc. Thank you. Cool. Um, yeah, so seeking others' viewpoints. I think um, I tend to try and do that uh, as a group. So for me, it's creating the space for conversation. Um, so if I think that there's five different people that are stakeholders in something or have got input and interesting viewpoints, I want them all to be together because it's not just me gathering other people's perspective, it's the other people gathering the other people's perspective that's critical. Um, and the methodology that I prefer for that is generally to try to get them in the room, spend some time through understanding what it is that we're there to talk about, um, and then finding what are those things that are where there's tension or there's a little bit of rub, and trying to work out safe questions to enable conversation around that. And so that's the pre-work I'll do, which is what are, the, what are the things that this group needs to actually solve for? What are the things that if I let them, they won't talk about? and bring those into the table so that the conversation happens and that enables a, a kind of a more unified decision and a, a kind of discussion of the problem. Um, and that very much is a tool from an adaptive leadership um, perspective. Um, so I was really fortunate to be invited into the Sydney Leadership Program. Um, it was something that Suncorp was sponsoring and I don't think they quite knew what to do with. Um, and um, it kind of crossed... It, I got asked if I would be interested and did a, a whole heap of research on that um, and sort of said, yes, I'd love to. So um, my partner's actually going through the course this year, so it's quite interesting. I thoroughly recommend it and quite happy to share um, more detail with anyone if they're interested in finding out more. Um, the Benevolent Society um, has got links to that on their website, so definitely worth looking through. And they've got a range of different ways that they deliver a lot more information about that program. So. Thank you, James. Um, Leon from Covermore Travel Insurance. Um, I'm interested to hear more about your role as a peacemaker and some of the examples um, that, um, that you'd like to share. Um, and hopefully I can sneak in a second question, which is um, I see someone like Steve Jobs as a really effective leader, but, you know, though he's charismatic, he's got a really abrasive personality and rubs people off the wrong way. Um, is there a place for that style of leadership in modern organisations? Thank you. Um, yeah, so firstly, role as a peacemaker. Um, um, I've got probably a few different examples. I'm just trying to work through what's an appropriate thing to share. But um, um, I guess from my perspective, um, and maybe I will talk to that one. So I spent five years within Suncorp's commercial insurance business and then I moved across to the personal insurance business. Now, they were run as two independent business units um, and that meant that there's always a level of kind of siloing to some extent that happens between different business units. Um, and that would play out throughout the organisation in terms of relationships and how people got along. Um, I ended up in a role um, where both businesses, where there was conflict, would seek me out and I would be involved in all sorts of different things, because, partly because I had the relationships, um, but 
um, more so because I was actually interested in trying to build the connection and make things work. And I know the CEOs of both of those businesses would talk to me about kind of this is where we need to get to and this is what's happening and I would be trying to solve things. So um, uh, the second question was... Sorry. Ah, uh, yes. Um, I'm not a Steve Jobs expert. I love Apple's products. I think they do an amazing job. I think they're... Um, but um, uh, there's a couple of things that sort of jumped out at me. One is who people are publicly and, and, and what you see and, and how they're interpreted may or may not be a fair representation of what they're like in other contexts. So um, I wouldn't comment on the individual or the specifics. Um, I think um, great leaders, in in my definition, do come from caring and they are um, interested in their people and working through things and building groups of people that are collaborative and constructive. Um, you're absolutely right. There are alternate leadership structures that get people to do things and, and work through things and they may not necessarily come from... Um, as, as strong a sharing space, if that's the right label. Um, I'd question how sustainable that is over the long term and what does that look like. Often those sort of, I guess, more aggressive leadership tactics will get something done in the short term, but ultimately we'll see people not wanting to participate in, in that organisation and drifting and moving away. So culture of an organisation and, and what you create starts with the leadership of that and I think you want the right behaviours modelled from the top. So just to follow up on that question and apply it to you, um, are there a, you, you, have a, you have a particular way of leadership. Are there times when you're prepared to be abrasive and direct and less collaborative and sharing? Um, there's not times when I aspire to be, no. Um, but in reality, um, one of the things that I've kind of learned is that when your energy levels are low or when you haven't had enough sleep and um, you get asked the same question for the fourth time, you, you know, what, what comes out may not necessarily be what you'd be proud of. So I have those moments, like all of us. Um, but um, for me, it's trying to work through and, and make that work. I don't necessarily think that's core to how you should be operating. Sure. But there is excuses for bad behaviour sometimes, is that what you're saying? <laughs> no, I won't get you to answer that. <laughs> Are there other questions? Uh, thank you. Um, so my name is Daniel and I'm from QBE. Um, so I've got a question. I guess it's in regards to... Um, I guess you've had uh, both uh, roles in terms of... Um, being um, in an actuarial kind of role as well has uh, been a role where you deal with actuaries in a more, I guess, leadership capabilities. So I guess um, if you were to um, now revert to an actuarial uh, role, what kind of things would you, I guess, consider more or do things um, differently as an as a actuary now that you've got that experience uh behind you um, uh, through those uh, leadership roles? Um, I think the role of a leader is fairly consistent regardless of the technical content or the, the, the function of the team. So from my perspective, the things that I would love to bring to a table if I was leading in an actuarial context would be the growth mindset, would be working with people around how do they work with others and explore difference. A big passion for me would be how to think of the role as actually impacting the business and working across the business to make change rather than that the role is producing a report or producing an answer. Those things are absolutely core to the role and need to, and need to be there, but it's then how do you then take that a step further and be influential and make sure that the value that you can bring is being brought to the organisation. Um, that's, yeah, that's probably the primary thing. I do think that the caring for people and caring for their careers and, and working with them are uh, sort of the same with every leadership context. I think the specific thing about actuaries for me is that um, often the role does get seen as a technical role um, that doesn't have a perspective on the broader business and it's how do you, how do you work with that and, and try and be more influential and work with others. Hi, Anna here from Alliance. 
I just wanted to know um, how important you think theoretical learning is, like leadership courses or um, personal development kind of courses, as opposed to the practical learning <coughs> of you know being thrown into a leadership position when you've never led a team of people before. Um, I think they're both fairly critical. So um, the example that I've always kind of loved is that it doesn't matter how much theory you do about riding a bike. It's it's not that complex a piece of theory, but to try and do that without having actually ridden a bike is nearly impossible. Um, and I don't know where leadership sits in that, but for me there's a piece there which is absolutely around experiential and learning that and learning your style and, and developing a way that you can be comfortable in that role. Um, but there's also a set of skills and toolkits that I think are critical that you get through some of that um, kind of classroom learning. Um, some of that's the difference between managing and leading as well, which um, is um, just you need to be a good manager um, so that you know the work makes sense and you've got different ways of handing things and delegating things and making sure there's the right feedback loops and <coughs> cycles around that and talking to people which come through in those courses. So I'd say both. Other questions? Nothing from the webinar? Okay. Well, I think we've peppered you for 30 minutes here with uh, silly questions and you haven't lost your temper or been short with us, so that's terrific. Look, I, I thought that was a really interesting presentation. Um, it was sophisticated, it was practical, it was personal, and that's what I really liked about it. The things I took away were self-awareness, um, the idea that you have to be aware of the shadow that you cast. Sometimes if you're a leader, if you say something that sounds reasonable and rational to you, people take it as dictate. So very mindful of that. I have to take that one on board myself. Um, assume the best in people. I like that thought as well. Um, assume that people are rational, talented and motivated. The empathy care thing I think is really important. Um, as I said, I used to be in the army and uh, that was, believe it or not, very important. If you're leading people into harm's way or potentially to death, your soldiers had to feel that they cared for you. You cared for them. Um, values, critical. Australians particularly you can see through a phony at uh, five paces, so values are very important. And finally, I, I like that sort of theory you brought to it, which is that leadership is a is a subset, if you like, of a very complex uh, uh, set of human systems, um, the adaptive leadership model you talked about. So I thought that was a really interesting presentation. Uh, very fortunate to have you here. If you could please join me in thanking James. Thank you.